0: Hello and how are you? This is Alice again coming to you from Total Health Academy where we talk about all total all things total health. Yes, we talk about all things total health. So today our topic today is type 2 diabetes. To tell you the truth, I am so busy this weekend but I have a few people who have requested this topic. So I had to take time out on a Sunday morning to make you this podcast. So I pray that you're well in all your ways and that you'll be blessed by this podcast. So let's start with a prediction of type 2 diabetes because, you know, there are two types of diabetes. There is type 1 diabetes diabetes which doesn't affect very many people, but it does affect some people. According to statistics, I think it either affects 10, maybe 5 to 10% of all people with type uh, diabetes in general. That is type 1, which is an autoimmune disease. And at some point, I will come back, some later date, I will come back and talk about type 1 diabetes. But today... I'm talking about type two diabetes, which affects the majority of the people with diabetes. So the statistics—I'm not exactly sure. I think it says ninety to ninety-five of all people with diabetes have type two diabetes. Years ago, when I went to school, this is how old I am. We used to call it—we used to call it non-insulin dependent diabetes. We also used to call it adult onset diabetes because it was only seen in adults and most people did not need insulin as the years have progressed the name had to be changed because this disease affects children also these days it is affecting children so they had to call it type 2 diabetes and also people use insulin these days so they had to change the name Um, Type 1 diabetes used to be called juvenile diabetes because we only saw it on children. But I I can tell you, I have met adults who told me that they actually got their type 1 diabetes as adults. One of them was a 60-year-old guy. I could not believe it. And the other one was a young man who was like 23 at the time that he got it. So, I mean, the disease keeps changing, but let's talk about type 2 diabetes today. Let me give you the statistics on this. In 2011, 366 million people worldwide were affected by this disease. In 2015, 400 million were affected by this disease. In 2017... 462 million were affected. Um I had statistics for right now and I can remember I don't know where I put it. Like 2021. Well, I'll find it. Yeah, I well, I cannot find it for some reason. I just can't find it. But we are very very close cuz before they had predicted that by 2030 will be Uh, 552 million, but actually right now we are predicting that 643 million people will have the disease and that's only eight years away. In 2045, they are predicting that 783 million will have the disease. So the disease is basically on the rise I don't know where I wrote the statistics for, the current statistics for right now. But if you want to, you can actually Google it. So this disease is increasing by lips and bowels. And we have to stop it because it's a very, very expensive disease. It's very disabling. And it also kills people. The complications of it kill people. So um, type 2 diabetes, obviously, because it's affecting so many people in the world, there is something that we are not looking at or there is something that we are doing wrong. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm making this podcast. And of course, to help my friends who have asked for it. So anyway, what is type 2 diabetes and uh, how, how does it affect the body? When you have type 2 diabetes... There are things that are happening in your body, not in just one area, because we just focus on the sugar and we focus on the insulin, but actually it's affecting very, very many things in the body. Number one, your sugar, the sugar that is in your blood comes from two sources. That is from the foods that you eat. Most people know uh, carbohydrate. They look at carbohydrate. Um, They think that is the source of sugar, but actually your liver... Even though you could be on a ketogenic diet, which is more fats and and proteins and very little carbohydrate and your liver can still use that certain fats and some proteins and make sugar. (laughs) Yeah. So we get sugar from two sources, from the foods that we eat and your liver. Your liver has something that is called gluconeogenesis, and I know that is a long, long word. Um, but gluco means glucose; it's a short name for glucose. Neo means new, and Genesis—you know, everybody knows the Genesis, or beginning, the first book in the Bible. Genesis means beginning or creating something from new. So again, your liver can create using. Proteins and certain fats in your body; it can create carbohydrate. But we just focus on the food that we eat, and that's where that is one of the things that we are doing wrong. So the big question, and I guess the billion-dollar question, will be: Why is your liver making glucose, and especially when you don't need it? Because you're 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 eating; you're not fasting, you know. And your liver is making glucose. Why is that? So we we, we we will talk about that as we go on. So now, there are certain things in your body that require for you to have glucose, either from food or when you're fasting. The liver is also a storage bank. It can actually store sugar, you know, when you don't need it. So when you need it, it can just release it. So the liver is doing a whole lot in this disease. Um, your uh, certain um, blood vessels and nerves in your eyes, certain organs in your eyes, they do need carbohydrate, so you can see better certain cells in your brain and certain cells of your red blood cells. They need um, carbohydrate. Everything else can actually um, operate and still function very well on ketones. And that's where you find ketogenic diet coming into popularity. But I'm telling you, this issue as we continue to to, to look at it's actually not a nutritional thing. Even though nutrition is at the center of this disease, this is not a nutritional thing, and that's where that is another thing I will keep giving you clues as we go along. That is another place that we are making a mistake by focusing on the wrong things so uh insulin let 's talk about insulin for a minute. it is a hormone that is made in your pancreas. So in this disease, we find that the pancreas is not making enough insulin. So you have insulin, something we call insulin insufficiency. Or your cells, the body itself, is resisting insulin. Insulin is a key. Insulin is not um, the one that actually works with the sugar. It is a key that when it's put, it works like a lock and key, you know, to open your cells so they can allow the blood sugar to go inside the cells. And then your cells can use the the blood sugar for energy. So in this body, or in a body that is affected by diabetes, the body is refusing insulin. It's actually resisting it, saying no. You cannot open this door. Why is the body doing that? So we'll see as we continue. So insulin is the mainstay of uh, treatment for this disease. So we treat the disease with diet and we also treat it with insulin. But we, we really none of that is really addressing the root of this disease. So, but why does insulin matter so much? Because um, insulin, without it, uh, without insulin, your sugar cannot get in the cells. And that's why the sugar builds up in the, in the blood vessels. But when it does that, it causes much more problems because it's not supposed to be like that. I mean, it goes and damages many other things. So with type 1 diabetes, let me bring type 1 diabetes for just a minute. You do not have that insulin resistance. It's an autoimmune disease and it only affects Well, let me not say a only effect, but the main problem is it's the autoimmune disease. The autoimmune antibodies are attacking the pancreas. So the pancreas is now able to produce insulin, but there is no insulin resistance and there is no insulin production. But then that also goes on to cause other problems. So with type two, we see that the cells are refusing to accept the insulin. And in some cases, The the pancreas is not producing enough insulin to meet the body demands. Um, In insulin resistance, the pancreas keeps producing. It's producing a lot. And then you get something we call insulinoma or hyperinsulinemia. Um, Well, yeah, you get a condition called hyperinsulinemia. This is where your pancreas is producing too much And sometimes that could also be coming from a tumor in your pancreas. But that's another whole story. That is why I mentioned insulinoma there. But actually, most people who have type 2 diabetes do not have insulinoma because that's a tumor. But they do have hyperinsulinemia, where in some cases, not every case, the pancreas is just producing, producing, producing. But the cells are saying no, no, no. Um, and there's a reason why they're saying that. So some of the signs and symptoms of this um, disease is you add up with high sugar in the blood, which should now be the case. And most people will start having symptoms when the blood sugar goes above 200 milligram per deciliter. That's how we measure it. And I know in different countries, they use millimoles. Don't ask me how the millimoles work, but you certainly can ask your doctor, because in America, where I practice, we use milligram per deciliter. So the blood sugar, if it's above uh, 200, it is a little bit high. This on the minimal or on hemoglobin A1C, you will see the hemoglobin A1C beginning to rise above six, the number six. So if you use hemoglobin A1C, which we use to diagnose this disease, you will see it rising up above 6. If it's um, between 6 and 6.3 in America, we call that prediabetes. And in America, one out of three people have a pre-diabetic condition. So the process is already beginning. One in three people, that is a lot of people. I have done a podcast about that. So you can go and check on my podcast and and listen to that also. But now if your hemoglobin A1C is above 6.4, you do have type 2 diabetes. Some of the signs and symptoms you'll see, most people, because for most people, they don't feel it coming. You know, you don't, it's not painful. Um, all of a sudden, when the sugar is too high, you start having symptoms. Some people will go to the bathroom a lot to pee, to urinate, because the, the, your blood and your kidneys are trying to get rid of this sugar that is too much in the bloodstream. So you go to the bathroom a lot, you urinate a lot, and that is the first thing that most people um, notice. Um, other people feel tired. Other people have headaches, excessive thirst and you're feeling thirsty because your chemistry in your body is 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 um you have too much sugar so that causes thirst your body is telling you you need to drink water you need to drink water plain water because you have too much sugar and we need to dilute this sugar so that's where the thirst is coming from some people feel excessive hunger because the cells even though you have too much sugar and you may even You may not even be hungry, but the cells don't have any energy. So the cells are screaming in hunger. There is sugar in the blood, but the cells are also resisting insulin. And there's a reason why they do that, because there is something that is circulating in the bloodstream that the cells do not want. If they allow insulin to come in, they could die, and they know that. And that's why they are resisting it. So the other thing that people may see is slow wood healing. Like if they get a little cut, they start seeing it's not healing properly. And the reason why is because that little cut is um, um, attracting bacteria to the sites because there's too much sugar. And plus, you know, nothing in the body is really working, (laughs) you know. And the reason why is the inflammatory system that is supposed to heal us is busy doing something else um cuz the whole body is inflamed and some of those um healing properties of the inflammatory system they cannot work properly because there is um there is something that's not right in the blood um the other thing that some other people see is frequent inf- infection this is a uh, urinary tract infection respiratory infections um some people may even have unintended weight loss because the body itself is hungry, even though you are eating, but you, your body is not able to use whatever you're eating. So, other people may have darkened skin, especially under the armpits, at the back of the neck, uh, they may have darkened skin. Um, before I go on, let me talk about some of the risk factors. Risk factors is anything that will increase your chances of having the disease. Being overweight is uh, a risk factor, but I I can tell you that I've met people who are really skinny, they are not overweight, and they do have type 2 diabetes. But being overweight, and uh, at some point I will talk about obesity at some future date, it's coming from the same place. Being overweight means that your body is inflamed. And as we continue to talk about this disease, you will see that they share something in common. So a risk factor for being overweight will put you online on the path to getting this disease. Uh, fat distribution. When you see people who have um obesity allowed the waistline, you know, um the circumference of the waistline is, is greater for men, um if the circumference of the abdomen is above 40 inches, you have belly fat, and belly fat is not a good thing. For women, it's above 35 inches. So obesity allowed the stomach. Um, Inactivity, I don't know about that, because if you're being inactive, something else is going on. Either there is a mental health go- issue going on, or you have another disease that is preventing you from being active, maybe like depression or something like that. But it's it's, it's listed as a family um, as a risk factor, family history. Now this one is true: if you have parents um, or siblings with type two diabetes, there is a chance that you could also have um, this disease. Race uh when it comes to race um black people hispanic people uh american indians asians americans um, they 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 say they are at risk of having this disease but I, I can tell you this disease is affecting just about everybody in the world i have seen all races affected of course some people are more affected than others um by the disease and uh Maybe some of the people I just mentioned are more affected by this disease than other people. Age is also a risk factor. But I'll tell you, I must be reading from some old documents because now, yes, age is a risk factor. After 45, most people come down with this disease. But now we are beginning to see younger people also coming down with this disease. Being pre-diabetic, that definitely puts you on line to get this disease. And like I said, pre-diabetes is very prevalent. One in three people in America have this condition. I can only imagine what the stats are around the world. But if this disease is actually increasing around the world, I would imagine maybe one out of three people in the world also are pre-diabetic. Most people, because it doesn't cause any disease, most people don't know that. You know, they walk aloud and they think because they feel they they are not having symptoms. They think they are healthy, but actually, um, people are not. They are not healthy. Just because you don't have symptoms doesn't mean that you don't have this disease. Um, so, um, being pre-diabetic will put you right on the path to get this disease. Although there are some people who are pre-diabetic and they just stay there. You know, you you stay pre-diabetic, which is not a good thing because it causes problems also. But you never quite. Develop the active disease where you're gonna need um maybe more than one drug. We still give medication for pre pre diabetic conditions to make sure to prevent that issue from ever uh progressing to type two diabetes. But I can tell you what the best thing is to get rid of this thing. The best thing is to get rid of this disease. If Somebody has developed diabetes, which is called gestational diabetes, when they are pregnant. This is a risk factor for type 2 diabetes. Polycystic ovarian syndrome. This one affects women where they are producing eggs in their ovaries, but the eggs are not being released. So you find that the ovaries are very active, developing them, the follicles, but they never release them. So it adds up like um, somebody has uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I think I have a podcast about that as well because it's caused by the same thing that causes prediabetes and it's caused by the same thing, the same thing that is causing type 2 diabetes. And of course, I mentioned um, the darkened skin, under the armpits, the back of the neck. Uh, Now with that, uh, we've talked about the signs and symptoms. We have talked about the risk factors. We can talk about diagnosis. And I briefly mentioned that as well, um, where if you're having these symptoms, you go to the doctor and you have the doctor check you. Most of the time we'll do um, um, blood work we can do a complete metabolic panel that is important to do so we can see how you're doing um how your body chemistry and your metabolism is going on in the body but a1c for most people that is the definitive test hemoglobin a1c so that and that one is done all around the world so if your um hemoglobin a1c is less than 5.5 you are in good shape if it's between 5.6 5.7 5.8 most of the time we don't do anything but when it starts creeping up to 5.9 we know it's going over the edge and that's when we start calling it pre-diabetes 5.9 6.0 6.3 6.2 that is pre-diabetes when it goes over 6.4 we call it type 2 diabetes so That is the best way to do diagnosis of this disease. Now, once we do the diagnosis, what do we do? We treat people. We treat them and we focus on weight loss. We focus on healthy eating. We focus on regular exercise. We focus on diabetes medicine. And I can tell you for type 2 diabetes, there are many, very many medications, newer medications, expensive medicines, complicated medications to take but um and then we focus on the weight but the reason why i am actually doing this podcast is because there is an area that we are now focusing on but before we talk about that let's talk about the diet we tell people to eat more whole fruits and vegetables to eat Whole foods, not processed foods like you get in fast food restaurants, to eat less calories, to stop um, eating sh- and drinking sugary drinks, to stop eating cakes, to stop eating uh, saturated fats, and you know, to eat more fiber. And then to exercise at least 30 to 60 minutes a day, um, 150 minutes, at least 150 minutes a week. That is walking, you know, those kind of things like walking, um, going to the gym, swimming or just doing work and not sitting too much. Um, But there is an area, like I said, there is an area of this disease that we are not addressing. So let's talk about medications because the medications are very, very many. One of the things that they recommend it's, now, remember, all medications have side effects. So let me go ahead and throw that in there. And this is why you should be motivated not to get comfortable taking medications. Even though the medications can control the symptoms, they can bring down the blood sugar, some of them can make you lose weight, do not get comfortable taking medications for the rest of your life because that's what it's going to take. You will be on medication for the rest of your life. You need to get to the bottom of this disease. And that's what I'm here to help you. We need to get rid of diabetes. And I believe wholeheartedly that we can. So let's talk about medication. Metformin, uh, some people call it glucophage. That is the other name of um, this drug. This drug is given... to just about everybody who can tolerate. If there are no side effects, it's given to everybody who has this disease. And it works in three areas. It prevents um, absorption of carbohydrate from your stomach. That's why some people cannot tolerate it. It makes them have diarrhea. It makes um, in di- uh, digestive issues, uh, diarrhea-sensitive stomach. Some, some people complain of pain, nausea, Formiting. But those symptoms kind of subside over time after you continue to take it, but that's because it's, it's, it's preventing absorption. Of uh, carbohydrate in your stomach. It also helps your muscles become a little bit more sensitive to insulin. It's telling the muscles, please, you know, lay down your guns, stop resisting insulin, allow insulin to open the door so the sugar can come in. So that's what metformin does. Uh, It also works in your liver. Remember I said the liver can make sugar? It it goes in there and it tells the liver, you need to stop making sugar. You need to stop. And it's fairly tolerated unless maybe you have kidney disease. If you have um chronic kidney disease and you're at a certain level, we, we don't give it. Um, There's another reason why we don't give it. And um, actually, maybe two reasons why we don't give it. Uh, the other one I cannot remember, but you can talk about that with your doctor. But there's something very, very interesting that just came up a few weeks ago. On March twenty eighth, it appeared in the issue in the Annals of Internal Medicine. This is a medical journal, and they say that uh, metformin, for the men that are taking it, it's it's interfering with st- sperm production and is causing men of childbearing age who are having children and they are on this medication, it will cause the offspring to have undecided testicles. So it's interfering with fertility problems in men, even though the disease itself can also interfere with fertility problems. You know, most most men who have this disease um, also have other issues like uh, enlarged prostate enlargement, benign prostate enlargement, which kind of blocks um, the urethra so they have problems with uh, urination. And now this is new that is affecting the offsprings of the people who are taking it and causing genital birth defects, mainly undecided testicles of the male children born to these men. That is new. That is very serious. I don't know what we're going to do because this drug is taken all over the world. It's one of the most um use drugs when it comes to diabetes. There are other drugs that help you. They help your body. Um, they, t- they work in the pancreas to tell your pancreas to produce more insulin. Let's say you're having insulin insufficiency where you're not producing enough, maybe because some of the beta cells that produce insulin, they, they either are not working properly, some of them are dead. Uh, so the ones that are there, these drugs kind of, go in there and they tell them, please produce more insulin. Um, Some of these drugs are like Diabeta, Grucatrol, Amaril, you know, those kind of drugs. There are other drugs like Stalax. They they work on also stimulating your pancreas to produce more insulin. Uh, There are other drugs like Actos, which, uh, where does Actos work? It works on your tissue. To make your tissue more sensitive to insulin, you know, telling your body itself to open the door, to not resist insulin. Um, All these drugs actually have side effects. Then you have the DPP4 inhibitors. These are newer drugs. And new drugs don't always mean better um some people cannot tolerate them some for some people they don't work well so just talk with your doctor like Genuvia is one of the most in- used dpp4 inhibitors that means it's inhibiting something and there is um an enzyme that is trying to uh help with production and also make sure that once it's produced and it's called glp1 Uh, enzyme, it kind of helps. It it helps it stay allowed in the body a little bit longer so that you can use insulin better. And let me look at my notes so I can tell you. I'm blabbing off because I I don't use it very often. Uh, Genuvia, I don't use it very often, but it has been used. And for some people, it does work properly. So it helps the GLP-1 stay active and now break down easily. So when this enzyme is active in your blood sugar, uh, it kind of lowers, it helps your body um, keep this enzyme so it can hang aloud and uh, it lower your blood sugar. So that's how it works. <laughs> and you take it by mouth. You can tell I'm not very familiar with it, but I, I actually maybe have prescribed it one or two times when I used to work in the community. Um, anyway. That's that. Um, there is also injectable medicine like um, GLP-1 receptor agonist. Anytime you hear something that's being inhibited, which is what DPP-4 inhibitors do, it's like it's preventing something. So in that case, it's preventing this enzyme from being destroyed. Um, then you have the injectable type which is another drug is called GLP-1 receptor agonist. So it's helping this enzyme uh, stay in the blood still a little longer. So it's enhancing it. Anytime you hear the word agonist, it is helping this enzyme and it lowers your blood sugar. So anyway, There are many, many, many medications. There is also other drugs that work in your kidneys. And the short name for it is SGLT2 inhibitors. Again, we see the word inhibitor. And this is a drug like Ifocana. Um, You know, it helps the kidneys not absorb... uh, No, it helps the kidneys not absorb... Blood sugar back in the blood, so it helps you pee out the sugar. Now, this drug I, I have used it maybe once or twice. Akai kind of don't like it, but you go if it works for you, kaida, of, take it, you know, because it causes many other problems. And sometimes it can cause uh, liver enzymes to go up. And I don't know why if it's working in the kidney, I don't know why it's affecting the liver, but you know, all drugs have to pass through the liver. That's how the liver does detox of the body. Some people cannot tolerate it. So, and it also causes urinary tract infection, like yeast infection, um, because it attracts fungus and bacteria into the urinary tract, because there's a lot of sugar, you see. Um, now, There are other drugs that are also used. There are are many. Um, If those drugs don't work very well, then you might go into insulins. And with insulin, you have many types of insulin. Um, You can use insulin by serage, by injecting it. It's always an injectable thing. Uh, You can use an insulin pen. You can also use an insulin pump. So there are many types of insulins. There is fact, fast acting, short acting, intermediate acting, and long acting. So depending on how well um, you need control of your blood sugar, how well you understand how to use insulin, uh, depending on uh, your pocket, because the long-acting insulin can be expensive. And if you don't have insurance, it can be really expensive. Um, that's how your doctor is going to pick and choose what to put you on, how much and what. So at some point, most people with this disease will end up taking more than one drug. That is for sure. And they might end up taking medication plus insulin together to help this drug. Because all these drugs work in different areas of the body. So if um, one medication doesn't work well for you, go back to the doctor, talk with the doctor, and see if they can be changed to another drug. Uh, some doctors will recommend even um, uh, gastric surgery for type 2 diabetes uh, if you're listening to this podcast and I have no right to tell you what to do, but if you're thinking about getting gastric surgery to control your blood sugar, you're going after the wrong thing. That one I can tell you <clears throat> because your stomach is not a problem. And it's not even your liver either because even if you're not eating too much carbohydrate or you're overeating, um, your liver can make blood sugar. So this is not a dietary problem. So if you take your stomach out, you're taking out the wrong thing. So if you're listening to my podcast, I hope you take that to heart. And uh, if you want to get in touch with me, I'll leave my contacts at the end of this podcast so we can talk about it. But obviously, I cannot tell you what to do, but I'll tell you if you're having gastric bypass, Cutting out your stomach or whatever you're doing to your stomach to help this disease, you are going after the wrong thing. Okay. So, treatment. Some medicines can be combined. So, you can take two medicines in one drug. So, they can be combined. Like metformin can be combined with genovia, and other drugs can be combined as well. Um to, so to treat this disease from time to time, the doctor will need to check your A1C. Most of the time we check it every three months. Um, if it's really well controlled, every four to six months. So you, you're going to need to visit the doctor quite often so the doctor can see how the medication is working and um, how you're doing. Because all these drugs, they work in different areas. Um, some work in multiple areas, and they they are geared. And this is why you see some people taking more than one drug. Um, some of them are in the liver, others work in the muscles, others work in the stomach, others work in the kidneys, others work in the small intestine to prevent absorption of uh, carbohydrates others work in the pancreas to nudge the pancreas to produce more insulin and when they work in the muscle they are telling the muscles be more sensitive to insulin you know insulin is coming do not resist insulin be afraid to insulin and then if your blood sugar still cannot be controlled then we start giving insulin um m- insulin pharmaceutical insulin so that's a replacement So we are replacing the insulin that your body is not able to make. Because after some time, high sugars, they're kind of toxic, very toxic to the beta cells. And as your sugar is now, if it's now very well controlled, the beta cells start to die. And at that point, there is no need to really start giving you medication to stimulate insulin production because it will not do anything. Uh, we may start giving you insulin to replace that hormone that is lost. So the goal is still to lower the sugar. Sometimes when you're taking medication, you may have side effects from um, lowering your blood sugar too much. And this is where the doctor really needs to monitor you closely to make sure that you're not taking medication and you're not eating well. To have that balance. Uh, sometimes when you are distressed, sometimes when you are not feeling well, sometimes when you have an infection, um, it can upset. Even though your blood sugar has been well controlled, it can upset the whole thing, and you may find that either your blood sugar is going up. You're gonna need more medication to lower it, and then once you take more medication, then it lowers your blood sugar too low. So. One of the side effects is hypoglycemia when you're taking all these things, including insulin. So if your blood sugar falls below 7.5 mg per deciliter, some people start having symptoms. This condition is called hypoglycemia, um, and that is low blood sugar. Some of the um, signs we see is uh, people feeling shaky. They're shaking, shakiness, or tremors. Confusion is another thing. You start seeing they're not thinking clearly. Uh, symptoms of hunger. Some people have nausea. Some people start sweating. Other people have chills. Other people have lightheadedness, dizziness, brawly fishing. They can't see very well. They start feeling nervous, like doom and groom, kind of sensation, anxious, ir- irritability. They become irritable. They start feeling sleepy. Uh, some people have headaches. Um, so anyway, and um, I don't know if I mentioned, yeah, I did mention the signs of hyperglycemia when when the sugar is high. they kind of mimic the same thing even though you have more symptoms when your blood sugar is low, more serious symptoms when your blood sugar is low than when it's high, when it's high. Uh, If you have blood sugars over 400, 500, some people even go to 800, especially if they are newly diagnosed. They come to the emergency room, 800. And when we see that, we are like, oh, my goodness. And you're still walking and talking because it can be a serious, serious thing. So this is not a good disease to have. Obviously, there is no disease that is good to have. But this one, this one is risky. Uh, complication of type 2 diabetes. Complications can come when um, people ha- um, are either having t- uh, very low blood sugars because it can kill you, or if it's too high, it can also kill you. Um, so at some point, I'll come back and talk about hypoglycemia at another podcast, and I'll also come and talk about hyper glycemia hypo and hyperglycemia that is high and low sugars just to add some meat to this podcast because if i if, if i talked about that here it will be very long but complications of this disease it causes more death complications of this disease causes more death than breast cancer and A- hiv aids combined Of course, people don't die from HIV infection. They die from AIDS, which is Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome. Can you imagine that? It causes more death than breast cancer and AIDS combined. This this is not good at all. But if not that... It's a very expensive disease. It's a very painful disease because you have to be monitoring your blood sugar at home, and also the other side effects that it causes and complications like um it puts you people on a path to having other diseases. Most people who have type two diabetes have another chronic disease, most people have another chronic disease. About 40% of people who have this disease also have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, high blood pressure. And you know, high blood pressure is a silent killer. It's also part of this inflammatory system. Um, They also have obesity. They have some have coronary heart disease. Um, And we still haven't even talked about the risk factors of this disease. This, these are just other things that people who have type 2 diabetes have. That's why we must get rid of this disease. Now, the risk factors for this disease, it puts you on a path to have strokes because um, some people have um, high cholesterol. It can cause um, blood clots, It it can cause, um, the liver is also affected. The liver has something to do with blood clotting. So the combination of high cholesterol, high blood sugar, and the liver involvement kind of puts you at risk for strokes. Uh, It puts you at risk for heart disease. It puts you at risk for dementia, including Alzheimer's dementia. And that reminds me that I have written a book on Alzheimer's dementia. And all these diseases, we kind of, we fix them. Clonic diseases are fixed the same way because most of them are caused by the same thing. And I'll tell you about that in a few minutes. So if you want to get on a path to healing, you need to get that book of mine, Alzheimer's Disease, when proteins go haywire. They go, um well... I've used another word, but go look at it. And if you cannot find it, you can always inbox me on Facebook and I'll I'll tell you about it. The same way you fix Alzheimer's dementia is the same way you're going to fix type 2 diabetes. Go get the book, start reading and applying some of the things I'm talking about there. um, Because there's, like I said before, there is a part of our, our lifestyle that we are not addressing when it comes to these diseases. So... This disease puts people at risk for kidney failure. I have also talked about, I have written a book on kidney disease, end stage renal disease, when the filters stop working. Uh, In that book, I also do a uh, a, a deep dive into the causes of these diseases. You fix them the same way. Of course, I've added more details in the Alzheimer's book, but most of everything in the kidney book is in the Alzheimer's book. The only thing is these are two different diseases. They affect different parts of the body. Alzheimer's and dementia affect your brain. Uh, Kidney disease affects your kidneys. So, but you fix them the same way. Uh, this. This is puts you at risk for gum disease, uh, bacteria infection in your gum because of the high sugar. It also puts you at risk for getting uh, diabetic neuropathy. That is nerve damage. Uh, most of the nerves that are damaged are in the feet and the legs, the peripheral nerves. And this causes burning sensation, uh, needles and pins, kaida uh, sensation, pain, that kind of pain, that you're being pricked with needles and pins. Uh, numbness, decreased sensitivity. So, some people get injured and they don't know that they are injured and they develop ulcers and then they have trouble healing the ulcers. And as time goes on, if the leg gets infected, you have to deal with the limp amputation, which is not a good thing. It's really horrible. And then, even with the amputation, you have poor wound healing. So, this we need to get rid of this disease. That's what I'm saying. Um, it can also go on to cause eye disease this is called um new um i i believe it's um retinopathy you know stuff like that i believe it's part of the neuropathy also because it causes uh, nerve damage uh to the eyes the optic nerve can be damaged you start seeing diseases like glaucoma um you also see um cataracts This is where you have growth into your eyes. And most of the time you may need surgery, eye surgery to remove it. But if we can get rid of the disease, we won't have to deal with stuff like that. Uh, There's also um, slow wood heating. I've already talked about it. I've talked about frequent infections like pneumonia and COVID-19, you know. Um, The eye disease will eventually cause brightness. Then there is autonomic neuropathy, which is even worse. This is where the autonomic nervous system is affected. And this usually involves the vagus nerve. When the vagus nerve is affected, digestion is also affected. So you'll find that people who have this disease, and I need to drink something. My throat is getting tired of talking, but I wouldn't get tired. I need to finish this. Um, You have something we call gastroparesis. You know the bowels are not moving. Digestion is not taking place. The stomach and everything in the stomach, the digestive system, is 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 is, is, is paralyzed. That is gastroparesis. Uh, it also affects um the urinary function, urinary retention. Uh, the nerves in the bladder are not working. Have I convinced you that you need to get this lead of this disease and not get comfortable in the treatment, even though the treatment will keep your life, but this is a disease we absolutely need to get rid of so I talked about the drugs and I say that newer drugs are no better if um the doctor and the cost is really high most of the time the the the, the these older drugs, they are kind of fading out, but they are very cheap, but they still work. So if you live in a country that uses, uh, like, glucophage, um, uh, stuff like that, control, um you, you can get it. They, they will still work, even though they are being phased out. And they are very cheap, and they will keep you alive, you, you know, and give you time to work out um, your de- deliverance, to, so to speak, from this disease. Uh, metformin. I've already given you the stats on metformin. It's widely used. It is cheap, but there are those side effects that I mentioned um, about the defects that will affect your children. Insulin. Insulin is used widely. Most uh, There are different types. Some of them are cheaper. Others, um, like the long-acting ones, like lantus, they are more expensive, but it will still keep you alive. Uh, So go ahead, use whatever you need to use, and your doctor will talk with you. Um, They consider many things while they put you on medication. They consider how well you understand what you're dealing with, how well you understand the medication and the side effects, and also affordability, because not everybody can afford these things. And now... I've said in a nutshell that treatment focuses mainly on healthy eating and lifestyle. I don't know what lifestyle they talk about other than exercise, uh, reducing stress. But nobody ever tells you what stress is really, um, and and stress comes in many forms. So some people are doing things that are causing them stress, but they don't know that it's going to end up leading to type two diabetes. Um, But that is the area that I focus on. But for me, I go very, very deep. Um, You want to go deep diving? Come to me. We'll get to the root of this problem. Um, So they also focus on exercise. There's nothing wrong with eating healthy, nothing wrong with exercising. We all should exercise. Um, They also focus on medication. Medication, some of them have serious side effects. They are also expensive. And also you need equipment to check your blood sugar. So we also focus on maintaining blood sugar within normal, normal ranges. But none of those things, as expensive as those things are, and as much effort as we put into them, none of them addresses the root cause of this disease. And none of those drugs will touch the root cause. But do not worry about that because that's why I'm here. I am here to help you address it. Uh, let's talk about the um, what the scientists have uh, talked about, what the root cause is. And they are right, but they don't go all the way. So we see um the insulin, There is a problem with the beta cells producing little or no insulin at all. Or we see the body resisting insulin. There is a reason why the beta cells are not producing enough insulin. And there is a reason why the the body cells are resisting insulin. So, um, with all that in mind, let's talk about some of the causes that scientists have listed they say that exactly why your liver produces um glucose is not very well known. Like why is it producing? You already have high blood sugar. Why does the liver get in there to start producing more insulin? Why is your body resisting insulin? You know, they say that those things are not exactly understood why the body does that. But hang in there. I uh, I will tell you in a nutshell. What is causing it? But I'm not gonna tell you why that is happening. Um, but we'll we'll get very very close to why because the other piece really is, is is you. You need to tell me what's going on in your life. I also need to know whether you're dealing with an inherited disease or not because that makes all the difference. If it's an inherited disease, then we know. I know what causes that, and I can help you with that. Um. So the scientists, they they say, think about genetics, genetics and and environment. I will tell you, think more closely about genetics. And that's where the inheritance comes in. Uh, We should not be inheriting diseases. Absolutely not. Um, And there's something we can do about it. And I think I'm very, very thankful for that. Uh, Being overweight. Well, that's true. But there is also being overweight is a symptom of something else something much more deeper, and it's coming from the same place as type 2 diabetes is coming. Being inactive, and like I mentioned before, I'm kind of like repeating, you know, the risk factors again. If somebody is not being active, maybe they have another disease that is preventing them from being active, like a mental health disease, like depression, like maybe um, arthritis, you know, and that will prevent people from being active. So the question we should all be asking is, why is your liver which stores uh, blood glucose. Why is it releasing it when you already have enough sugar in the blood? And why is the liver making new glucose, gluconeogenesis? Why is it doing that? Um, the, in a nutshell, the reason why it's doing all that is because your body is at a clonic, it's at a systemic, clonic, low-grade information in a nutshell that's why you're having this disease now the million dollar question it is what is causing this systemic chronic low grade inflammation what is causing that and that answer lies with you I can only help you if I did um, a medical history about you to see what other diseases you're suffering from. To see your family history, or you can tell me about your family history, to know whether many members of your family also have the disease, like your parents, your grandparents, your siblings, that will tell me a lot where this disease is coming from and where this systemic, chronic, low-grade information is coming from. In a nutshell, your body is on fire. So type 2 diabetes, you're looking at a body on fire. I hope I have said something useful, something that will prompt you to get in touch with me so we can talk about the root cause and know how to fix it. Um, My name, again, is Alice Munua. You can get in touch with me on Facebook. I check my Facebook every single day. And I, I we don't have too many Alice Munuas. I'm one of the few. and I talk about health, Uh, I am a nurse practitioner, so you will not miss me. Uh, You can inbox me over there, and I'll get in touch with you. If not, you can email me, alismonywa at heartmail.com. I know that's an old email, but I check it from time to time. But I can promise you that I don't check it very often. Maybe once in a blue moon, I might see your email come through. The best place to get in touch with me is Facebook. In the meantime, when I get time and money, I will create a website and then it will be easier. I'll put my contacts there. It will be easier for me, you to get in touch with me. And with that, I am done. God bless you.